Hi, this is Brian Peebles in Michigan, and I've been listening for over a year. When I started listening, I was trying to figure out if starting a PI business was the right next move for me, and the podcast has been instrumental in moving forward with that decision. I appreciate that Matt always seems to ask his guest the exact question that I'm thinking. You know, for a veteran investigator and business owner, Matt has a great ability to think like those of us that are just starting out and ask the questions that we would want to ask. So thanks a lot, Matt. Keep it up. The Campbell Group offers best-in-the-industry pricing, service, and coverage for private investigators. With more than 25 years of experience in the industry and over 3,000 PIs insured nationally, the Campbell team has the expertise to make sure you have the coverage you need. Submit an application and receive a quote within 24 hours. Let them know you're a PI Perspectives listener on your application for $50 off your yearly premium. Do you enjoy our podcast and the guests we bring you? Since 2019, Matt and his team have done their very best to give you amazing shows each week. If you feel like our show has helped you to be a better investigator, or maybe even inspired you to become an investigator, please let us know. We're looking for testimonials. Drop Matt an email with a recorded 20 to 30 seconds of you talking about this podcast. You can also email him something verbal about the website. His email is matthews at satellitepi.com. And if you really feel blessed for having this content, consider supporting Matt and our show by joining Investigators Toolbox. You really have to see version 2.0. And at just 49 cents a day, it's a no-brainer. Now let's jump in to this week's episode. Welcome back to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Matt decided not to skip a week after all, and we're back to our regular format. This week, we welcome Sal Liferari. Sal's a retired NYPD expert in security, and today we're chatting about workplace violence and building security. Sal recently conducted a free webinar on the subject and has a great free tool to help security consultants keep buildings safe. Please welcome Sal Lefieri and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to another episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Today I'm very happy to welcome back uh, Sal Lefieri uh, to the program. Sal, I want to welcome you back. How are you doing? Feeling good, Matt. Doing good. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to get some time to chat with you. It's been a yeah. while. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I, I guess the last time we talked to you is probably over a year ago. I think we were talking about drones or um, oh, yeah. s- something like that, security-related uh, stuff. And um, today we wanted to have you back on uh, to talk about workplace violence. You know, obviously there's shootings happening all over the place, and um, you know it's kind of timely. And and you've uh, got a, um, a a webinar that you're you're doing right now, and I invited you uh, on to kind of talk about it. But uh, tell me a little bit about what you've been doing uh, since the last time we talked to you. So obviously, you know, uh, you look at what's going on around the world. I mean, you know, the the problems that we face locally, right, have a tendency now to start, you know, precipitated by events that happen around the world. And, you know, it used to be worried about if you had a property, you worried about the property from, you know, from the street in. But now we have to start worrying about things that are occurring globally and what the potential implications are for us locally. Right. And sometimes that, you know, that that turns into either, you know, cyber attacks, which is a big topic for everybody today, or, you know, at a more, much more local level and specific to the properties, when you start looking at civil unrest, 
and you look at the things that are happening with the, with those types of you know I'm calling them attacks. Some people think that's politically incorrect, uh, but when you when you have a situation where you have an unruly group that's coming by and breaking windows and running into buildings and taking over buildings and doing damage, I I, I think that falls under the category of an attack. And so we're we're spending a lot of time looking at when those things occur. How to how do you defend against something like that? Right. Uh, what are the steps and policies and procedures that you know you're allowed to do by law? And what are those things that we can do to ensure the safety and security of the security guards that are that are pro- that are protecting the property when right. they get wound? What do you do with them? Right. So it's more than just workplace violence. We're talking about violence in general, uh, demonstrations and things that get out of hand. Um, how to make sure that we're protected. And as a security consultant, maybe some of the tips and, and tricks that you can pass along to potential clients, things to look for. I know uh, you and I were talking offline uh, beforehand about a, a, a list of certain um, identifiers and, and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit, but this is, this is all real time stuff. I mean, as we're recording this, uh, the former president of the United States was indicted yesterday in New York. So uh, the first thing when I thought when, you know, when I read that was, oh man, I hope things don't start getting crazy over here with protests uh, and, and getting out of line because you just never know, right? Yeah, you, you never know. And that's part of the problem today, right? Where, you know, you would normally worry about, and again, from the security side of things, right? You'd always worry about somebody, you know, a burglary coming, coming into the building and committing a crime or potentially an assault, somebody getting, you know, agitated and creating an assault. Uh, but, you know, but today the problems, you know, you, you have to really start looking outside the box. That box has gotten incredibly wide. And so you you have to start thinking in those areas of when something pops up or you're reading a headline in the news. You know, one of the key things that you know we always do is how is this going to affect me? Right. right. Um, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, paranoia and a little bit of neurosis in there. But. It's, you know, how's this going to come back to, you know, what, what normally you would think about how's this going to come back to blame me, right? right. The same plight, the same theory, right? How is this going to affect me? And, you know, what's what's the fallout and what can happen? And that's the key to a lot of it. And we'll talk about it a little bit more with the with the active shooter and the behaviors coming in. And But, you know, it's the same concept here is if you can get in front of it and at least anticipate what may be coming then you have an opportunity to, you know, to possibly prevent or mitigate some of the damage. Right. You never just want to get caught short. It's it's that whole concept of how do we think ahead as to what could happen. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest problems uh, as a security professional in, in, in dealing with your own clientele, getting them to subscribe to the idea of being proactive and not reactive um, is, is one of the biggest challenges, right? No, nobody wants to to protect themselves until they need to be protected, right? Uh, it's true, and until the problem develops. And especially when you start looking at the economy and, you know, it, it, we, we, there was always the problem with security being the loss leader, right? It was, it, was, it was an expense side, it was never an income side. And there are some things that are, we're starting to see now that are changing in, the, in that regard. And there are things that, Especially with some of the new technologies that are out there, and some of the analytics on the on the access control and on the video control side, you can actually have that as a as a as a revenue source. Right, with collecting a, a great amount of data, and you're able to utilize that. But that that's totally down a different rabbit hole. Yeah. 
Yeah. But, you know, with budgets being cut and what they are, you know, it, I was telling someone the other day, we're not being asked to do more with less. We're being asked to do more with nothing. Right. And you got it. And you have to sort of try and pivot and figure out ways to work around that. What's your uh, what's your thoughts on the, this whole facial recognition software? It's, it's another thing that's that's been a hot topic here in New York, uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, Radio City Music Hall. Um, they they implement it, they use it, and they're they're using it to to ping in uh, lawyers that are singing or uh, suing <laughs> the establishments. It's it's been a whole interesting back and forth. How do you feel about this the biometric stuff here? Do you think it's something that's a necessary tool uh, for doing what you do? I understand both sides of the of the argument. I think you know when people. Um, you know, I'm sort of, you know, perplexed by the whole argument, quite honestly, right? I, I get both sides of it. If you have attorneys that are suing you, uh, showing up to your facility, you wouldn't allow them free and open access to your office. So I kind of get the argument that you don't want somebody who's suing you to come into the facility and just, for, you know, just, you know, continue that, that part of it. On the flip side of it, I also understand that, you know, you're going into a public venue and that they're using it and they're trying to keep it down. Uh, they don't want you inside the facility. And so I kind of get the, the I get sort of get both sides of it. Right. But again, I think that the, you know, the, the other night I was doing a talk out at St. John's University's, the Graduates Business School and the MBA program and was talking to the students there. And I brought up this and I brought up this point similar to what I brought up at Pepperdine not too long ago in California. And that was, you know, there's this whole argument about the biometrics and being able to read your fingerprints and being able to read your and where's that data going? And oh, my God, you shouldn't be used against me. And yet we all do it. We go on our cell phones and we readily give up. The, fa- the biometric data. Right, or fingerprints or, <laughs> or pictures. You give up the fingerprint, right? Yeah. It, it's not resident just on, on mm-hmm. the device, right? Your facial recognition is being used on your phone to access your phone as the, as the, as the you know, it, it's like the courtesy, right? To be able to get onto your phone and, you know, make life easy for you. Yeah. And we do that and we all do it and we all do it openly and we're okay with it. And I'd love to know at what point do we draw that line? You can't have it both ways. You can't be willing to give up your biometrics and your and all of that personal data on your phone to be able to get a flashlight app and then complain when it's being used in other ways, you know, when yeah. it's being used potentially in, in a security situation. Yeah, so the thing that, that cracks me up the most is the um, like the twenty three and me. The, the, the DNA, we, we're literally giving up your genetic code and not realizing, you know, that it, someone's taking all that data, like it's being stored somewhere. If you think it's not being used for something, you're, you're a fool, right? Um, and the, know. you know, what I told the students was I said, listen, I, I get the fact that, you know, you needed to be able to, you know, pr- survive in society today, right? You did to be able, everything revolves around your phone and, and all of the data. Right. I said, you know, you you come across knowing they knew full well that I came from the intelligence world out of the NYPD. And they said, so, you know, about Big Brother watching. And I said to him, so you're upset about Big Brother watching you to try and protect you. And yet you give up this data freely. And aside from the fact that they're staking all of your data and marketing it, you don't even get a free month's phone call. So you don't get a free mo- a free telephone as a result of it. 
they're taking your data. So if it doesn't piss you off that they t- that they're taking your data, it should piss you off that they at least should pay you for it. Exactly. <laughs> now, just give me something back for it. Right. Other than more ads and an ability to spend more money. Sounds like a class action lawsuit in the making. Here we go. <laughs> Somebody's light bulb just went off somewhere. <laughs> so that's crazy, man. Um, you know, it, 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 these are the things you see, right? So as a, as a security consultant, you know, obviously that that's, that's your thing. You had mentioned, you know, former NYPD, um, you know, you, you have a, a, a distinguished background in, in the work that you've done. Um, and you've, you've parlayed that into, uh, you know, consulting and, and all that. So, I mean, w- what are the different types of things that you see when you, when you go out, um, whether it be, uh, w- let's talk commercial, a commercial building, um, you know, what type of assessments do you make when you get there? Like, what does that look like? So obviously, you know, it, it, again, we, we try and do it from, instead of starting at the, at the building itself, you start to go from the outside and work your way down, right? And you start mm-hmm. looking at the, you know, where is it located? What's the area that it's in? Uh, is it next to a potential terrorist target? You know, one of the, you know, one of the things that we do, even in our executive protection programs, is the person we're protecting may wind up, you know, have no threats at all and be, you know, Mother Teresa. But if that if that person is sitting next to someone with a threat, that becomes a real problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the effect of the attack on that person is going to affect you. So we do the same type of thing. You start from the outside, kind of work our way towards it, and then start looking at okay, what are the where's the building located? What are those defensive or critical infrastructure capabilities that the building has to resist those natural tendencies to resist? Right. And part of that is you sort of that septed, right? Where you, you know, you're looking at the design elements that have been put into the building that hopefully give you some security, you know, capability as a result of it. Uh, and then you start looking at the tenancy and start seeing who the tenants of the building are and what are those issues. Because again, you know, you you have a tenant who's maybe very high profile who creates a, a situation, you know, not intentionally, but creates a situation. Uh, you know, we had a, a great example in one of our buildings that we uh, we provide consulting for was the, remember the farmer dude, the guy who raised the drug price up to- uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched a Netflix uh, documentary on that, yeah. Yes, really, right. Yeah. He, uh, you know, and he raised the price overnight to, you know, 7,000% or whatever the number was. Yeah. Yep. Um, he was a tenant in the building. And so, you know, it generated protests and people coming to the building and protests. And now they weren't looking to obviously, you know, demolish the building. And, you know, they just wanted to get their point across and they effectively did. But the the short of it is it's those type of things where you, you know, sometimes it's not just the all the doors locked that a camera is working. It's a matter of understanding what some of those you know, it, it falls into, in, in sort of a slight way, the difference between asymmetric and symmetric threats. And so they become the asymmetric threat, right? So yeah, you have to kind of pay attention to that as well. Right. And that's sort of the holistic approach that we take to it. Right, right. And that, you know, how long typically does an assessment take? Like, walk me through the, you know, you get the initial phone call, you, you've done you're working your way out to working your way in there. 
in, you know, how long does a typical project like that work? Getting it like getting the bones structure set up. If you're dealing with the, let's say a single, you know, a single structure, right? A, a commercial real estate property in just one, just one particular building. We're not looking at the portfolio. We're just, just that one particular building. You're probably looking at about two weeks worth of work. And that would be, you know, doing site visits and understanding what the building's critical infrastructure is, how it's supported, what the potential risks might be. Uh, if they have a particular interest in something or if they have a particular concern, uh, you know, taking a look at that, looking at air handling systems, looking at the elevator systems, looking at access intrusion uh, control, the, the uh, you know, alarm systems, if any of that. And some of the systems that would include, you know, if there is there anything that was built in for active shooter. Right. Um, you know, the, how do you handle the elevators? You have an active shooter comes in, gets onto the elevator and tries to get upstairs. What do you do with a recall? And where do you, where do you take them? Where do you send them? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. And what capabilities do you have for that recall capability? Definitely. So in all, probably about two weeks worth of time, we would probably meet with architects and review the architectural plans as well. Uh, if there's any current construction and then new construction going on. Right. Make sure you build that safe room in there. <laughs> right. Uh, budget the safe room. Um, so yeah, this, this is a good place to to take a break here. So I think we're, we're going to jump out. And when we come back in, I, I do want to uh, double down on the, the um, active shooter and the, the workplace violence and uh, really start digging into, um, you know, your, your the webinar that you're going to do and the, and the training and all that. So um, everybody sit tight and we will be right back. You guys have been hearing uh, for a long time about how much I love Crosstracks, but now you're going to hear from somebody else. So we got George Gerges here. George is a member and user of Crosstracks. George, tell me real quickly what you love about Crosstracks. The simplicity of using it and the ability to customize everything that you could do with Crosstracks is awesome. It actually allowed me to take the way that I do my business and implement it into their system. And not only am I able to manage 10 or 15 cases, I'm able to manage 50 to 100 cases with the same effort. Fantastic. So Crosstracks, um, the case management system, they are SOC 2 certified. Basically, that's an encryption, really an upgrade. They're the only ones out there that are doing it. So please support this great sponsor that supports our show. Uh, check them out. The links are in the show notes. Crosstracks, if you're an investigator, you should be using them today. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. And I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers and it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information. 
I think it's one of the best points of how ScopeNow can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope Now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. Scopenow.com. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host today. We're with Sal Liffieri. Uh, Sal, welcome back to the program. Great to be back again. Yeah, yeah. So before we took a break, we we started uh, you know talking about um, active shooter situations and buildings and um, being proactive and just kind of understanding that and whether it be you know a disgruntled um, employee workplace violence related uh, issue or a protest that uh, kind of goes overboard, um, you know things get out of control. Um, or even, you know, one of these school type situations, which unfortunately just seems to be keep popping up and popping up. Um, so tell me a little bit about this webinar. When is it taking place and uh, what exactly are you doing? So we we actually uh, filmed the webinar and did it live on uh, last week from the week we're doing now. But we have it available on Zoom and we also have it available. If anybody's interested, they can reach out and we're more than happy to send them a link to it. It was a free webinar that we conducted and the, the concept behind the webinar was that, you know, we hear a lot about active shooter, you know, with the when, when things happen, you're going to run, you're going to hide, you're going to fight. And there, there's a lot of training out there and a lot of discussion about that. And that's all highly appropriate. But one of the things that I thought are really missing is that, and it kind of goes along with what I had said a little bit earlier about trying to get in front of things, is that the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA put together a 18 different behaviors, specific behaviors that were indicators to potential violence. And while some of them seem a little bit, you know, sort of broad ranged, right? The, the idea is that if you took those 18 behaviors and you started to recognize them early on and you start to document those behaviors, then you're able to intercede and potentially stop that violence from occurring. Right. And so if you can if you can recognize it ahead of time, you can get some help for the person or you can get some 
some law enforcement interaction if it if it's something not not related to the building or to the company. Uh, so we really thought that that was critical that you we really needed to talk about. It's great to know what to do when it happens, but let's see if we can prevent it. So, so what we who, did was who are you having those conversations with? Is that like an HR department or like like who would be responsible for looking out for those red flags? So ideally, the risk managers uh, in in the companies would be number one, uh, or you know the HR departments, obviously, because they're the ones that would receive some of the you know some of the reports and some of the complaints. Right. But you know, interestingly enough, right when we look at the active shooter cases, when you know, when we go back and and look at those cases and do the post mortem on each on each and every one of them, inevitably, what what do you wind up hearing? It's just, gee, some, you know, we knew that guy was going to go postal. We knew that girl was going to have a problem. She was going to do that, right? We knew that person had that issue. We saw it coming. Well, if you saw it coming, you should have said something. Right. So I don't think that there is really enough guidance and understanding on the, on the front side of it. So um, a, a security directors would also be ones that would you know, be able to be a source of, of information, right? You have, you know, you have the guard services that are out there that have way more interaction with the public and with the, with the tenancy of the buildings or within, within the organization than we recognize. You know, but pre-COVID, or actually in the middle of COVID, we started to look at, they were, they were trying to cut down the the amount of guards that you had at a, at a building and what was the pro- actually it was before COVID, uh, how many guards, you know, do you really need and can we close it down and, you know, and, and cut the budget and save some money. And what I did was I created this metric that set, that started to look at how many people come into the building and how many interactions security has with those individuals, with the tenancy. And if you got, to, you know, for simple numbers, if you have 5,000 tenants in the building, 5,000 people are in there, and they come walking in in the morning, the guards are noticing 5,000 people walking in. And then that 5,000 people going home at night. And then you looked at, you know, from the turnstile registries, we started to realize that about 30% of the population was going out to lunch and coming back an hour or two later. Right. So we, you, now you have 10,000 people. Now you got, you know, 30% of that, right? About another 3,000 coming in and out. So during the course of the day, those guards are looking at, and then you put in visitors and packages and what have you. So they're looking at maybe 20,000 interactions a day that's not being recognized or or responded to, right? Who's taking that two-hour lunch, though? That's what I want to know. On that guy's job. Martini lunch, right? Exactly. (laughs) But- and then you start, you know, when you start doing the math on that, you look at five days a week and you multiply that by 52 weeks out of the year, you know, all of a sudden now you're looking at potentially a million interactions that security has. Wow. And so you you realize that there's a lot that we're seeing and, you know, that just kind of gets ignored, not from the security side, but from, you know, from management looking at these things. So they're a great source of intelligence information, right? They know the people. They'll see somebody coming in and saying, you know, Sal was always well-dressed, but man, you see Sal this morning and he looked like he didn't sleep last night. He looked like, <laughs> he, looked like he, felt, you know, he slept in his clothes. And all of a sudden now they'll start recognizing those things. And it's a great source of intelligence information. So security obviously is a key part of it. HR is a part of it for those that pick up a phone and call risk managers, 
and even just the regular corporate staff and you know the employees when they have the interactions you know with each other uh, they'll recognize those problems so what we did in the in the webinar was we went through the 18 steps you know the 18 behavior not steps but the 18 behaviors of what the potential indicators of violence was and we tried to explain it saying you know listen the if you have a person who is very you know uh, it was a sort of a jovial, friendly sort of an individual. And now all of a sudden you're hearing him talking about, you know, violent issues and barroom brawls. You look at him and you go, you'd never expect him to be in a barroom brawl. Sure. And here he, now he's talking about that, right? Um, someone who all of a sudden where you would believe that all he read and all he would talk about was Sports Illustrated and the, the sports season's coming up. And now he's reading Soldier of Fortune magazine. Where'd that jump happen? Exactly. Right. So we we tried to break down and make it a little bit more. Yes, these are the behaviors, but let's understand what the behaviors are and how can we apply them. And we created a um, an what we're calling an assessment tool, indicators of potential violence assessment tool that identifies the eighteen but more importantly, gives some sort of structure to it. So you get a little bit of guidance as to what it is. And, and it's kind of funny because when we first thought about it, we said, oh, this is probably something that's going to be, you know, it's common sense. And then you realize when you're, when you start looking into it, yes, it's very simple, but when you try and apply it, you kind of get stumped. So we created the tool and the tool is free and be more than happy to anyone who's interested in receiving it, reach out to you or to me and I'm more than happy to, to, to give them a copy. Yeah. Of it. We'll, we'll have your contact info in the show notes. Um, you know, I'm sure folks can do it. Um, I, I would say there's probably a good part of this. Like you're, you're counting on also the community within that structure to keep their eyes and ears open. Right. If you see something, say something. And um you know, teaching them what to look for, I think is is a good place to start, right? How can you say something if you don't know what to look for, right? If if you don't recognize it, yeah. And more times than not, things become just discounted. And, you know, again, th these aren't things where, you know, Sal's always a friendly, jovial guy, and then he comes in one day and he's busting up furniture and he's screaming around <laughs> and right, yelling. Right? <laughs> That's Tuesday in my world. But, exactly, right? <laughs> but... You know, with with it, it's this is these are things that over a sort of a period of time are going, you know, evolve over. Right. And that's why the and that's why the, the the learning has to be done early on. Um, you know, we just we just did a video, we did a an active shooter video and it's up on our website uh that people can go in it and it's actually a, a computer-based training program that they can take. And we cover a lot of those specific issues, right? We talk about dealing with, you know, active shooter situations, understanding potentials to violence ahead of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's something worth taking a peek at. Definitely. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> so what would you say would be one of the challenges um, with administration when you, you're bringing forth and you're doing, you know, these recommendations, what would be the, uh, the hardest initial blowback that you get in, in, in dealing with all this? There's, there's sort of two problems that develop, the first of which is always budget, right? We, we, we want to do the training. And that was one of the reasons why we, we started doing the computer-based training was that you don't have to dance someone out to get in front of the, to get in front of the group. 
right? It, it's way more expensive, especially if you have if you're talking about travel and lodging and whatever. The you know the cost kind of you know, grows exponentially. So the ability to be able to hit the entire community, the entire organization, every single person, and getting them to have their tra- and getting them to training, it's it always comes down to the the first obviously is the cost. Right. The second part, the second one that, and it's a very close second is, well, that's not going to happen to me. You know, we, we don't have those problems and which is true. You don't have that problem until you have that problem. Yeah, until you have it, right. Exactly. Right? A lot of, and it kind of goes back to the assessment, you know, stuff earlier, you know, some of the problems with assessments is that once I write up an assessment and I recognize the potential risk that you have. If I put that in front of you, now you unders, now you have a liability in that, you know, it wasn't even a risk that you had to perceive. This was a risk that now you have identified. And if something happens and you didn't take any action, it becomes a problem. So we get a lot of pushback on in the assessment processes, we get pushback on. I don't need to know the problems, you know, I'm better off not knowing and they don't want to accept the liability. And I think one of the things that we do is that differently than others is we try and make recommendations for risks that are actually, you know, that you can actually react and respond to. We had a client that came to us once that said they had a, a, an assessment had been done by a major company. And one of the things they were located on 57th street in midtown Manhattan, which is a major thoroughfare, as you know, right. Leans across the both ways and the cross town traffic. And one of the recommendations in it was that they were susceptible to truck bombs, so they should keep trucks off 57th Street. Yeah, come on. <laughs> That's what happens. I mean, they try and do it on 14th Street. I, I, they see you see signs, no trucks allowed on 14th Street, and you see trucks like take a picture of the truck driving next to the sign saying no trucks on 14th Street. Yeah. Come on. You know, there's a there's a you know there's a risk, right? And then yeah. if something was to occur, so you know you can't keep the trucks down. Could you know could it have been something that hey potentially some maybe some minor blast mitigation we could have done in the building? So things along those lines. But when it comes to you know the active shooter in that you know getting people to understand it, and then probably the third the third thing is the fear of even having the conversation is something that you you have to try and overcome. You know, people just don't want to talk. There are certain things that are taboo and to certain people, uh, and especially today with the anxiety levels that people are experiencing, um, to get them to focus on these things is, is a problem. It's yeah. tough. And I'm sure after they happen, you know, the, the phone's ringing off the hook, right? Every time some psychopath or something in the workplace or the school or something, you know, it's like, okay, now we got to look into it. And I, I feel like if you don't proactively nail them down at that particular point to make the commitment to do it, they may f- forget, <laughs> you know, we're, we're just, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. You know, we got something else that's, that's more pressing right now, you know, and then, you know, there, it, it never ends up happening until the next one. Right. So, you know, the things like, especially with the active shooter, right, when you start looking at the ability to lock down rooms, lock down offices, um, you know, the, you don't want to, you'd love to have safe rooms and, you know, in all locations. But, you know, when you when you start going through and we're more than happy to do assessments for for active shooter to come around and take a look at the facility and make some recommendations as to how you can tighten it up. 
excuse me, sometimes it's with, uh, you know, a, a relatively simple door lock, uh, but, you know, come up with some sort of devices and some form of, it doesn't have to be sophisticated technology. Right. Sometimes it could just be, you know, a simple door latch. Or, or a window that can sustain, you know, gunfire. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the big issue right now. You know, somebody got into a building um, with glass that wasn't tempered, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's part of the assessment that, you know, we would, uh, we're happy to go out and do and take a look at. And so, you know, we, we try and, you know, sort of, un- they want to get something done, but they tell you they don't have the budget for it. Right. Um, you know, and it, obviously it's, you know, that, that's, that's the biggest problem today. And we sort of anticipated that we knew that sort of, you know, March, April timeframe, we were anticipating, uh, you know, all the economists were talking about what was going to be happening around this time. And so we figured, you know, okay, here's an opportunity now. Put some stuff out that A is free that people can learn some lessons on. And then, you know, secondarily have the computer-based training that they can go and they can they can use for their staff. Right. So um what would be your recommendations for somebody? Let's say uh take yourself back 20 years, right? I'm Sal. I'm just Boy, getting a, a little more than that. Okay. I'm, I'm saying 20 just to be nice. Um, so he was saying, Hey, I'm, I'm just getting off the job here. I, I feel passion for this kind of stuff. I, I see, I feel like my background, my expertise lends to it. Um, how do I get into this? Right. How do I start building myself out as a consultant or quote unquote expert in, in doing this kind of stuff? What would be your recommendation? I, one of the things, I mean, you bring up a great point. One of the things that I had always thought was that the, the departments, it is across the board, never trains their people or prepares them for the civilian life. Yeah. The captains in the NYPD, captains and above, actually the union will actually, actually holds classes and tells them, you know, teaches them how to put together a resume, how to dress appropriately, how not to dress like a cop and walk into an interview for, you know, a security director role, um, you know, how to act and perform and, you know, the things that would be expected. And, I, and, that, and it's great that they take advantage of it. At the lower level, that doesn't exist. And I always thought that the union should really do, the unions across the board, not just in New York, across the board should do something along those lines. Because the, the real problem that I see and the thing that really bothers me the most about it is that guys don't realize, guys and girls and these guys you know, collectively for everybody, they don't recognize the level of sophistication and training that they have and the value that they have on the outside. Right. And they, you know, they come out and they think, well, I was a cop and so... I could be a driver or I could work security and I could, you know, $30 an hour and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to cover off the ball. And they, they don't realize that value that they have, especially if it's someone in a, you know, in a specialized unit, um, a person from one guy in particular, I'm thinking of uh, was in highway and spent you know, 15, 16 years in highway patrol had every tab that you need, you know, for being able to process drunks to dr- drug recognition to accident investigations. And when he retired, takes a job as a driver for a CEO. Right. And he's comfortable with that and he's happy with that. And God bless. And he's got no stress in his life. Some people are like that. 
Yeah, but but yeah. there's an opportunity where when when I was chatting with him about it, and I was saying, you know, you have all of this expertise. Desig- I mean, you know, it's clear desig- clear expertise on accident investigation that you could utilize with attorneys, right? That that on on log on cases. Right, that you can review and come in as the expert witness. You can you can help in the investigations for you know either the plaintiffs, defendants, whatever. And he was like, "Yeah, but you know who's going to look at that?" And that's and that's the problem, right? Yeah, they they're not recognizing their expertise. So the obvious that a recommendation would be try and recognize what you're doing um, if you can. Talk to guys, you know, like myself that have have gone into the business, understand where we, you know, understand what we did, some of the hurdles we came over, uh, but more importantly, recognizing that you have a great capability that you're just not you're not selling and yep. not something they're familiar with, and it really yep. should, something they should be doing. Yeah, some of the greatest guys that work for me, um, you know, they're all ex law enforcement. In, in fact, uh, I would say almost every awesome field investigator I have working for me and everybody that works for me is awesome. Um, they, they, when they got out, they took that job doing surveillance or doing whatever. And I, I'm so glad they did because you get to see the tough part of the job, you know, the, the, the non glamorous part and understand that, Hey, I don't want to do this. Like I'd rather work more in like meteor investigative type stuff, you know, like accident, reconstruction or, you know, construction site investigations, um, things like that, rather than just being a driver or being, uh, uh, you know, sitting in a car videotaping somebody, um, you know, the guys that succeed with me, um, in, in my business model are the ones that have gotten out for a little bit and have tasted that, you know, the, the less desirable, in my opinion, anyways, part of the business. Some people love doing surveillance and doing, God bless you. If you're great at it, go for it. Um, but these guys that 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 work for me, their their minds, the way they were were trained and programmed, you know, was to do more, you know, to think more and and to and to put those investigative skills to work. You know, it may not be criminal, right? We're not looking at criminal stuff anymore. Now it's more on the civil side, um, or even on a consulting side, right? Right, um, going and making an assessment of building. Like if that's your background, if that's your training, don't undersell yourself. Yeah. You know, and if you have a desire to do that type of work, it's available everywhere, you know, but if you want to be happy driving in a car, all that, and I, I get that. I've had guys there too. I had a, had a guy on Long Island that, you know, he's was, he was going to be great. It's going to be really awesome. And, you know, like we had a couple trial days with him. Everything was great. He called me up. He said, you know, I just want to drive for somebody. Yeah. I don't want to do anything else. And I'm like, glad you're telling me now and not two months from now, you know, and, and good luck to you. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of stuff happens, right? Yeah, it's true. But some guys just want to do that. They, and they're so used to, you know, one of the biggest problems, right? And the biggest adjustments from our world is, you know, you had your you had your shifts and then you had your days off and you you, you had your schedule and you knew what you were doing and you got your five weeks vacation. <laughs> no more, my friends. Yeah, you know, that, that don't happen anymore. I right? had that situation happen. I found somebody to, to start working with me and I thought it was going to be great. I was very excited actually to have him start. And I told him before he even started, he was supposed to start like the following Monday, uh, but he had a certain skill set um, language wise. And um, I told him, I said, listen, from time to time over the weekend, you may get a phone call of, 
hey, you got to you got to get the ball rolling on this. You don't have to do the work, but you got to at least make the phone call. No problem. It's all good. Whatever you need me for, I'm there. Great. Well, that weekend, something came in and I'm like, here you go. And God, you would think I killed the guy's mother. You know, like, how dare you call me on the weekend? This is my time. I was like, all right, buddy, this isn't going to work. <laughs> that's a no go right there. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, listen, that's where he was in his life. I get it. I totally get it. You know, and it's like you either want to work or you don't want to work. There's really no in between. It's true. You know, not in this business. You know, even if you're saying, oh, I'm I'm only going to work on part time or whatever consultant. Yeah. Okay. That's great. But if you're going to work, you got to do the work, you know? So, um, all right. I feel like we're starting to to go off on a tangent here. So this is probably a good place to, to uh, put a bow on it. Um, so it's always great to talk to you, man. You you are really a fountain of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. How do folks get a hold of you if uh, they want to learn more about uh, uh, this kind of stuff? So the simplest way to get to me is go to our website, which is pccsecure.com. Uh, name of the company is Protective Countermeasures, and but the, we've shortened up the name and made life easier for people to find us. So it's pccsecure.com. Awesome, uh, they awesome. can reach out and uh, more than happy to chat with them. Okay, great. And, great. and they can also get the, the free assessment tool and ask for a, a link to the webinar and we'd be more than happy to get it to them. Just let us know that they, uh, they saw us with you and uh, we'll be happy to take care of them. Perfect. Perfect. So, all right, man, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everybody uh, checking out the episode. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch everybody next week on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thanks for checking out this week's show. And thank you to Campbell Insurance Group for sponsoring us. Let them know you listened to the show to save $50 when you apply for insurance. Thanks also to PI Institute for Education, Scope Now, and Crosstracks for sponsoring the show. Also, don't you forget about investigatorstoolbox.com. Just type version 2.0, 25% to save 50 bucks when you join. And if you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at Matthew S at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. But we want your feedback for good ideas to keep giving you good shows. We'll be back next week with a brand new one. Hope to see you then. Please stay safe out there.